90% of a successful negotiation is really planning. And one of the things that most like kind of goes on with what we just talked about is not only should you look into the worst case scenario and be able to deal with it, but part of dealing with it is creating like, gosh, if this doesn't happen the way I want, what are other ways I could do it? That's called a, a, the best alternative to what I'm trying to negotiate. So I want to create alternatives and start working on them before I get to the table so I have confidence at the table. And if I've created a good alternative to what I'm trying to negotiate, not only does it make me freer and more creative at the table, but it becomes a closing mechanism as well at the right moment. Do you believe that negotiation is just the transaction and act of splitting the pie and determining how much each party gets? If so, strap in and turn it up because this conversation is going to turn that belief upside down. Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high stakes conversation for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There's no conversation too risky. In this conversation, Dan, Adrian, and I talk about how negotiation is the heart of leadership. We chat about how most leaders and founders don't even understand what negotiation even is. Let's dive in. Dan, Adrian, my brothers, how are you? Good to be back with you. Awesome. Well, here we are in another conversation. And uh, this, this conversation, I want to talk about negotiation. You know, we, we came off of, I'm, I am, I don't know about you guys, but I am still very excited about this last leadership Academy that we had. And such a, such a thick theme in that, um, in that experience for me was the power of being clear about your position and what's possible in the art of negotiation. And, and it just kept up coming up time and time again. And um, to, for me, uh, there was a lot of, again, even though I've learned these things so many times, um, it, this seems to be my, the pattern of my life. I can learn things many times over and over and over and over and over again. After six <laughs> seven years, I can tell you it doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Um, so it just this idea of some of the misconceptions about what negotiation is or what's possible in it. Um, I think so many, well, actually I want to put it to you guys. What, what are some of the, as you think about Dan, you've done a ton of coaching and negotiation. Um, Adrian, you have, you have as well. I mean, the work that we do is all about negotiation. Um, and Dan, I love it. You and I were having a conversation as we were prepping for an offsite next week that we're going to be leading. Um, you said negotiation is the heart of leadership. And I thought, wow, that's that's really interesting. That's a huge statement from my perspective because we talk about leadership all the time. And for something to be the heart of it, uh, there's something there. So before we get to what it is, what it actually is, and what the possibility is in it, I'd love to explore some of the ideas that people think what they think negotiation is or what they think they are engaging in when they're negotiating um, just to lay some of that ground groundwork so that people can start to recognize maybe some of their own thoughts in that. Yeah. Well, there's quite a few. Where do you want to start? I mean, I think just generally when I think about negotiating and when I, when I, I, 
many, many years ago, about 20 something years ago, I started a company called the Negotiation Lab. And we were kind of how I started my first consulting company. And we were focused on negotiating. And it was interesting because the interpretation of negotiation is very narrow in our culture. It tends to be, well, you know, you have something I want and and you you don't want it. I want it. It no longer meets your need. It meets mine. And now we negotiate. You're trying to regain some value from it or you want value and I want value and we get into trading you know we get into the exchange where we're discussing how much each of us get and that's usually what people think negotiating is when in fact that's the farthest from how I understand negotiating and how I've been kind of raised on negotiating and that 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 transaction that value for value that dividing of the pie is the result of negotiating but it isn't negotiating itself and in fact what tends to happen is people will spend a, they'll just get right to that like if if you have a car or something you're selling it doesn't matter whatever you're selling people will think that that's the negotiation is getting down and trading for price horse trading but it, it isn't negotiating is it, it, just to define negotiation from the way I understand it and how I talk about it and train it and why I believe it's the center or the heart of leadership is that negotiation is any communication designed to influence or persuade another person or a group of people. So negotiating, I'm negotiating with myself. I'm persuading myself into a certain mood. I'm negotiating with you. That mood itself is a negotiation and invitation. Um, I'm, and, and when we get into a negotiation, if we're in some type of communication and we're looking to persuade each other in any way, then there's going to be some kind of interests that come together that make a pie, right? There's your interests and my interests. And if we're better off together than we are apart, then we've got a negotiation. If we're not better off, if one of us isn't better off or doesn't perceive themselves as better off together than apart, that's the end of the negotiation. And those are some simple principles that go that go on. But so the idea is the bigger we can see the pie to be, the better we're going to be when it comes down to exchanging value, right? And then th- that we ought to hold off from even getting to that until we really understand what's possible together. And that, that goes, and if you think as in leadership, I'm doing that with myself. I'm doing that with my team. I'm doing that with my vendors. I'm doing that with my suppliers. You know, I'm in constant negotiation. I'm doing it with my family, right? I'm I'm trying to align interests, you know, and and all the research, it's really interesting. The thing that foils most negotiations in a company externally is the internal negotiations that nobody thought of having until they came up when you were trying to make the exchange with another company. Right. Break that apart a little bit. So let's say you and we that we're out there and Adrian's out there creating business and he comes across a big client who wants to do something. And it's exciting. It looks like it really could transform our business and bring us all kinds of possibility. And he's excited about it and he brings it back and he's negotiated some basic terms to go forward. And he's, he really feels good about it. But he hasn't talked to any of us. He brings it back. And all of a sudden, a couple of people on the team, you, me, somebody else, is resisting because they don't see how it fits their interests. Mm -hmm. And now they start to push back. Now, if Adrian's already going forward 
and he's already working a deal or he's already got some kind of negotiating going and he's already starting to encounter uh, resistance internally, it's going to affect the negotiation externally. And if he doesn't deal with it internally, if he doesn't really get the interest aligned internally, it could sabotage the external negotiation when you get to the point where you want to create agreement, particularly if you want everybody, if you need everybody's alignment, at least on the on the leadership team, that kind of thing. So a lot of people don't think about that till they get into the negotiation. I've been called multiple times to come in and help order a team. I've been thinking about a team that was doing, they were trying, they were merging with another company in another space. And I got the call because they were already negotiating with the, the company was going to roll them up and they were a bunch of their stockholders were resisting and it was threatening the, the consummation of the deal. I mean, we, we went into to, uh, ESPN initially when they were bought by Disney, I did to help kind of straighten some issues around that MOU and Disney being a, a union house and, and ESPN being a non-union house and that there was trouble there. Right. So those things happen internally can threaten mergers, acquisitions, new projects, etc. Yeah. That was a lot. I'm sorry. A lot of words. <laughs> That's great. It's great. So one of the things that I think about is this idea that I think a lot of people approach negotiation is like the result is, or, or the success of the negotiation is I got as much as I could right in the in the distribution like you talked about Dan that's not the actual negotiation the negotiation happens long before that but i think a lot of people think of like did i they they gauge whether they negotiated well or not dependent on how much they got yeah well that that's i think that's one criterion i think you also got to be thinking right like that's i do want to get as much as i can but however how does that impact future relationships are future relationships important here you know what what other what other interests are at the table that could be the secondary and tertiary impact of how I negotiated could be impacted that may affect my business down the line even more than getting as much as I can in the moment. I really wanted to get that point on the table and have and listen to both of you discuss it because I, it's so short sighted in one transaction. I think to you know to to go in and I won because I got the most I possibly could without. That is one criteria, but there's also the criteria is what's the future of our relationship with the person that I'm engaged with, right? Is it, the bigger win could be the next 20 years of business that they love doing with you because of how you are in a negotiation. Yeah. Well, that's a big deal. And you don't even know a lot of times if what's coming in the future with this individual or team you may not even be aware of it. Like I, I negotiated a deal. Remember when we did the redemption foods, Adrian, and I dealt with a lot of vendors and, and the relationships I had with them carried on long afterwards and then benefited me later on in ways I never even imagined they would. Right. So I, I know. And then I've also had situations where I've blown a relationship and later on I see how it's, it muted or you know, stop me from growing in ways I could have grown. What do you think, Nate? Yeah. I love uh, to hear um, your thoughts. Yeah. <clears throat> lots of thoughts about it. I mean, back to, back to your initial conversation that you like illuminated really well, you know, I, I, one of the main thoughts that hits me is like, is people naturally think about negotiation as the transaction and 
there is already a tons of anxiety and fear that pops up when they think about it because there's tension in a negotiation. And most folks' natural default setting is conflict is hard, conflict is bad. Um, and, you know, so therefore we don't even want to think about life as a negotiation. So we either think I'm going to go after what I want or I'm going to lay down. Um, just because, you know, if I'm already pre-decided that this is what I'm doing, um, you know, I think about, you know, I think about it as we think about the personal side of things, uh, like in your home with your spouse or with your kids, so many negotiations are happening there. Um, also in any kind of board meeting, any kind of senior leadership team and any kind of team meeting period, it's always negotiations that are happening, but we might not even want to see it that way because if we saw it that way, then we'd, it would invite us into thinking about it. Um, and it, it would bring up probably conversations that I prefer to avoid. And so there, then what do we do? Then we act like it's not a negotiation. Then we just settle for the outcome of preset circumstances. And preset circumstances also include all of our default settings. Oh, Susie, she's that way. Or Tom, he's that way. Or I'm this way. Or the market is this way. Or we are at this stage. You know, how many times do you hear about, you know, we're at this stage of the company. So therefore, and how much we buy into the circumstance <laughs> of stage um, and, and sign off. Or the market is, or the market oh, is in depression. How many times in the therefore. last, you know, six months, and I'm probably here forever that uh in other new ways you know thank god for covid because we get to hide behind that forever and now it's the and now it's the <laughs> recession that's happening we get to hide behind that forever and just all the 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 oh scarce mindset that challenge provides us cover for and so anyway as i as i think about negotiation i think about how people love to avoid um, love to avoid the real conversation and would rather just keep things transactional. Mm. I'd love to, Dan, I'd love to hear you talk about this too, because this is one thing I love. I, the tension in negotiation. There's so much to the tension. It's, it has such an important part of the negotiation. Uh, Dan, you have stories upon stories that we don't have time for where you built in tension on purpose in a negotiation to discover what would be a win for everybody or could be a win for everybody. I, I would love to hear you just talk about that for a minute because our, our, like most of us go through life trying to ease tension, avoid tension as if it has no use. The only constant in an organization like yours is change. I want to take just a second to tell you about The Change Imperative, an ebook written by our very own Dan Takini. Let me ask you, how do you personally relate to change in your business? Does it feel like a threat at times? Does it ever feel like you can't keep up with it or it never happens fast enough? Are there certain players on your team that resist change and keep your company stuck? Growth, change, and transition these intersections often come with confusion, frustration, and resistance. You can flip those experiences into clarity, confidence, and alignment with the Change Imperative ebook. The Change Imperative is instructions for innovating with your team. Go ahead and click on the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Change Imperative now and feel confident about creating the change in your company necessary 
to take it to the next level. I'll just tell a quick story. It'll encapsulate it. We did a merger. Well, we actually restructured a company, Mark and I. And in the restructuring, we were basically restructuring debt that this company had accrued from uh, a VC that had come into the space as a flyer. And then the it was during the tech bubble when it burst back in the late 90s. I think it was late 90s there. And they wanted to unravel this company. They had bought this company. They were going to take it apart, dismantle it, close the tranche, move on. And the woman and the, who had the company was just, you know, depressed because she was going to have to send her her president, who was president, the guy who's president, back to England because he wasn't, you know, it, it was it had to do with citizenship and all that. And they had a team, and they really felt like they could do something. But unfortunately, she the she got the money right at the pop the, when the bubble burst, and then right as she started recovering, nine eleven hit and it drove it even deeper. But in that process, in getting like the, the VCs first off to not sh- dismantle the company, but actually sell it. Now they were like fourteen million in debt, right? This is a fourteen million dollar loan. They couldn't pay it back, and I told her when, we went through all the, the things. But I remember telling her. I think we can get this for a million and a half. I think we can restructure the debt at a million and a half. She said, how can we do that? And so we created tension by the, first we sent them the, the numbers and had them, they were just dismal. So, and we knew that on the other side, there was a young partner who was dealing with it. And we knew that he wanted to make a mark and that if he could see how he could make a mark and save the company a few million bucks, he'd want to do the deal. So we send him the, the numbers and I tell her, don't talk to him for a week. And she was crazy. She goes, what do they call? I said, don't answer. Let the tension grow. That way, when we come with a counter, say, well, you know, you don't have to lose. I'm sure you can dismantle it. We can show you though, instead of losing five, you're only going to lose two, right? And then we talked about how to do that. But first they have to feel the five, right? And so- you know, she didn't want to do that. But I said, look, that's the only way the reality is going to set in. Trust me. So she did it. And they were interested. And the kid jumped on it. The young guy jumped on it. And he was, of course, he's looking like a champ now. He could save the company three million bucks. And so then she said, she told them that, well, these guys have raised a million and, you know, a million bucks. And, I, you know, they're willing to come with a million, which got, which would make the, consummate the deal. And, and which I told her, yeah, we, we can raise the million and get the other half a million, million and a half, the other half on loan. And when she got them to listen and she they were excited and they called me up for the offer, I offered them nothing. She didn't know that was coming. But I knew that that would drop this, the floor, right? And then they got upset. And then she came to me going, what are you doing? You said, blah, blah, blah. I said, I want you to call them back up and tell them you're dealing with bumpkins. We were, we're just country folk and we didn't really understand uh, but we, you know, you're talking to us and we're now considering coming with the million, right? Just, but just doing, allowing the tension to play out enabled us to close that deal in a very short period of time. And during that time, she was schizzy as crazy. The, the tension of that was a lot for her. And I spent a lot of time just kind of calming her down. Like, look, if you're not going to, I mean, they're going to dismantle the company. What could be worse than that? Right. Anything we get above that, we're winning, right? And we ended up giving for 1.65 million. So it was, I was 150 grand off. But that's when we initially got it. But by the time we closed it, it was 1.5 because 
we paid early and got 150,000 as a bonus off. So, you know, it's like those kinds of deals. It's, it's really, I think a lot of it is being way, willing to face the worst scenario. And if I can be okay with the worst scenario, I can then start to be much more comfortable in the tension. But most of us don't like to look into the worst scenario because it feels like it's dashing the hopes of it. So, you know, being able to create a parade of horribles and then deal with it makes you stronger at the table. That's one thing you can do. And then the other thing you can do is create another possibility outside of what you're trying to negotiate. So there's a number of ways to reduce your tension, increase the tension on the other parties toward what your interests are, if that's possible. It's always one way of looking. It's like, what are the interests at the table? And what's the worst case scenario? And like, it's being able to look at all that. And that's all preparation. And you ask anybody, they go into a negotiation, you say, how long have you prepared for this? Most people haven't spent but a half hour, 20 minutes thinking about it, right? And there's so much you can prepare for because there's usually when you go sit down and do something, they're not just the person you're talking to's interest at the table, but there's other people connected to them who have interest at the table. Are you aware of that, right? There's a number of things that we can go through that can help break a negotiation apart to see what's there. But far too often, because people haven't really prepared, they just compromise. And, you know, and they take less than what they could possibly get. You know, the old story of the kid with the orange, right? Two kids fighting over an orange, two kids fighting over an orange on a hot day. And they decide, okay, we'll compromise. Each takes half. But if they would have stopped to understand why each of them wanted it, they would discover one wanted the, the, the rind for a pie crust and the other one wanted the meat for juice. And if they would have understood that way, they both would have got twice as much. We have a tendency to be like, we don't think about what information to share, what information, like I do a red, yellow, green, red information you don't share, yellow information you share cautiously and at particular times. What information can I share? And far too often we withhold information that's completely shareable and would create trust at the table. So those are, those are these are all just different ways of breaking down the interests at the table and how to approach and understand them. Yeah. And, and if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, this is a lot more complex than I thought, you're right. That's right. And there's, you know, stay tuned 2023. Um, we're having a conversation about putting out a, uh, this service to folks that really want to get great at it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking as a part of this conversation as well, because, you know, imagine, and, and Dan and I have also been together in lots of rooms when, um, negotiations are being had, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, old leadership teams and new leadership teams and, and, and we've, you know, helping leaders fire a whole bunch of people and bring other people in and, um, and, you know, you know, trying to change leadership. I mean, they, these are all very, these are all deep negotiations and the partners trying to break up or, or reformulate, uh, ownership mergers, or mergers, yeah, you name it. Roll-ups, yeah. turnarounds. Yeah. Yeah, there's all these applications. And, you know, as we as we are in this conversation about leadership is negotiation. I'm just thinking last night sitting in my backyard helping my 15-year-old negotiate a love interest of his. <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> he had asked me to come outside and then he says, oh, can we talk? And it's like, great. And then he started talking. I'm like, oh, wow. First off, I better pull up a seat. This is going to take a while. So I'm already negotiating with myself. And <laughs> and here I am. And uh, it's it's funny. You know, so some of the principles, why I tell the stories is some of the principles that Dan was talking about uh, are sources of um, more resource for ourselves personally and more power for ourselves personally and the, the ability to go connect with other people more powerfully. Because even my conversation with my 15 year old last night, uh, you know, there are, you know, he, he met this girl. Great. They hung out once it went phenomenal. And then he's back at school and it's weird and he's freaking out about how weird it is. And then you guys know him. So, um, he's, you know, I, I'm all day long. He's, he's texting me all day long. Hey, she's doing this. What do I say? Hey, she's saying this. What do I say? You know, this is all day yesterday. And you become Bruno de Bergerac. You're did Cyrano you, de Bergerac. Did you? I am. I am. Can we just put a bug writer. in his ear? Yeah. Remember like, Roxanne, which is like yeah, Roxanne, an eighties movie where we're, yeah. So anyway, but here's what I said to him. I said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the fact that she might go away. Maybe she thought she wanted to be in a relationship, but she was wrong. And now she's feeling weird and she actually doesn't want a boyfriend. If you can befriend that idea, then you can go have the right conversation. And it was very confusing to him for a minute. And so we talked about that in four or five ways until that landed. Like maybe she doesn't want to be with you. Maybe she doesn't want to be with anybody. But if you befriend that, the worst case scenario, quote unquote, to a 15 year old that's in love, then you can actually go have the real conversation. And you can go play to win instead of playing not to lose. You know, he's busy trying to make her stay instead of letting her go and then going for her. And very different 15-year-old that's going to show up that's there to get something done or there to go make something happen um, than if he's there to not, if he's there to make sure something bad doesn't happen. And if you're a leader, you're probably thinking about your team, your team meetings right now. Or if you're not, think about your team meetings right now. Think about how many conversations you're avoiding and, and how many worst-case scenarios you're not entertaining in order to keep the team together or keep that person here or make sure the worst, make sure something bad doesn't happen or make sure, make sure, make sure, blah, blah, blah. Whatever you're making sure, you're not. You're actually like, you, you, you know, you're spending a lot of time, uh, you know, avoiding the conversation that's dying to be had. You know, I, anytime I work with a leader and they are complaining about somebody, I'm usually, I usually say to them rather quickly, oh, that behavior is someone that wants to leave. You ought to go ask if they want to leave because that's what their behavior is, is they want to go. It's like, oh no, but if I bring that up, they might go. I'm like, yeah, they might, which would be really great. They're thinking about exactly. it, whether you ask about it exactly. or not. And it brings up, so. and it brings up a, a common uh, leveling that occurs, I think, in in a leader's mind, which is they, we often confuse positions with interest. And, and that's what I hear you saying is you're, you're bringing your, you're bringing your son's attention towards her interests. And if he can serve her interest, that's where the greatest possibility for him in her life is going to be anyway, whether he gets it the way, you know, he, way he wants it or not, he's going to be in a better position. So the difference between a position and an interest can inject flexibility into a situation that's stuck. Most people don't understand that. And it's a, it's a subtle distinction, right? The, the interest being the intangible 
experience people get from what they're trying to achieve in the negotiation. And the position is the material uh, that they will pull out of it that represents that experience. So for instance, um, somebody comes in and asks for a raise because they really don't like the commute and they feel like if they made more money for that time, they could, it would make it worth them, right? They might, I've run into this a number of times. That's why I bring it up. And then, but there's a freeze on salaries at the time, right? So then what do you do? How can you serve this? And this guy or gal might be a huge producer and you don't want to lose him. You want to accommodate him. What other ways can you do it? What's their interest? Well, they, they want to spend more time with their family or they want some kind of compensation for the time away from their family. That's And, and so they're looking for some way to make up for or increase their time with their family, which could be met, that interest could be met by either getting an apartment near the office and allowing them to bring their team in and let them go home and spend work from home more often. You know, there's a number of different ways you could accommodate that interest without doing giving him a raise or them a raise, whoever they are. And so often we get stuck arguing positions when we don't, instead of breaking, well, why do you want that? What is it you're trying to accomplish by getting that? What would you experience? How else could we handle this situation so you could experience that? So th- that's an inquiry. There's two principles uh, or ways of being, I think, that I'm, I, I'm hearing themes through each thing that you guys are talking about. One is flexibility the willingness to be able to be flexible and curious in, in the negotiation, you know, uh, it kept coming to mind for me, Adrian, as you were talking about that um, with Kit is like to be the most effective in the negotiation, you have to die first. You have to die the death that you're most afraid of. And then when you you go, when I, when I offered that to him, he said, Oh, that's what you and Dan are talking about. When you're talking about dying, that's what you're talking about. Like, yeah, that's he it. Said that? He said <laughs> it. Great. He said it. Yeah, yeah. My grandfather, my grandfather so used to you, say, "The one that the, the one at the table who's willing to lose everything is the most dangerous person at the table." So that to me, that's flex. That that opens flexibility up for me because hey, I've already gone there. I'm already okay with the worst case scenario, walking away from this table. So now all we have is opportunity, possibility, right? Um, and so that's one of the themes. the The other thing. Um, the other thing that I'm hearing is, and I just lost it. It'll come to me. Well, can I add to what? Um, you... Oh, go ahead. Creativity, creativity, right? So this idea that um, there's so much more available than you're seeing, which is the process of creativity, right? And and that requires failure. It requires uh, like research as you're talking about it, like it, it requires all of that stuff, but the art, the, the act of creating and creativity is such a, a well, essential the, principle. At Harvard, Harvard Tufts and another business school did a bunch of studies on negotiating. One of the things they found is that success, Come closer, successful Dan. negotiations Sorry, you're just, you're a little faint. require about 90% of, 90% of a successful negotiation is really planning. And one of the things that most like kind of goes on with what we just talked about is not only should you look into the worst case scenario and be able to deal with it, but part of dealing with it is creating like, gosh, if this doesn't happen the way I want, what are other ways I could do it? That's called the best alternative to what I'm trying to negotiate. So I want to create alternatives and start working on them before I get to the table. So I have confidence at the table and 
if I've created a good alternative to what I'm trying to negotiate, not only does it make me freer and more creative at the table, but it becomes a closing mechanism as well at the right moment. Like, look, if you don't want to do this, not a problem. I've got this over here and I'm not kidding, right? In other words, I'm not, this is not a speculation. I, I actually, that's one of the things we did. We, we restructured a bank, a buddy of mine, you know, Henry and I, and we worked with the restructuring of a bank and it was creating a BATNA, a, a, an alternative that actually closed that deal because we had a, we had another bank that was willing to take the business if this bank wasn't willing to renegotiate our client's position with them. So knowing, knowing what the alternatives are as well. So you deal with it, you look at the worst case scenario, and then you think about how you would handle it otherwise. And you begin to structure that before you even get into the negotiation. And very few people break it down this way, but it It'll give you a lot of flexibility at the table, particularly this can be applied to t working internally with your team. It can be applied working externally with vendors or, or, or uh, suppliers or other parties you're negotiating with in joint ventures. This is great. Adrian, did you have some, another thought you wanted to share? Before we oh, close plenty, but we'll come back to them in another episode. It's great. It's okay. great. All right. Well, I, I do, I do want to tease again. I mean, this next year we're coming out with a product an opportunity uh, for people to really dive into this in a very immersive way. Um, so as you think about the, you know, the heart of leadership being negotiation, um, this is going to be, I'm so excited for this, uh, for this opportunity. So we'll have more details coming up very, very soon. Um, we're putting our heads together and working, working diligently to get this thing off the ground. So it'll be soon. So that's a little bit. Yeah. Little let me bit just let me add to that. And then I guess maybe put my, my final thoughts on it. Cause there are there's plenty of art and science to the external negotiations. Dan alluded to this earlier, but I think it's worth coming back to the beginning. Um, plenty of art and science to the external negotiation. And a lot of those, like the creating a BATNA, and they pray to hortables and exploring the interests versus positions, all that. Really, uh, it's worth getting great at that um, for external negotiations. Most pain in business life happens due to internal challenges and internal negotiations, which is everything from as simple of as simple as how's the executive team? How is it doing? And any, and, and put, put six or seven strong willed, ambitious people in a room, there's conflict. Some of it, most of it is undealt with. So, when we think about negotiation as leadership, as negotiation, it's really that like the, the, the stress and the time that's spent avoiding conflict, which is also avoiding approaching it in a way that works. And anyway, so if you've got interest in that, if you've got anything on your team, that's not working really well, these, these types of conversations are going to really serve that. And we're going to, we're building it out of building this future product out of a lot of the felt needs, the conversations that were, I mean, my head was full of so many examples that could easily pull out of, obviously I told you a silly one from last night. Um, but of all the, every, almost every coaching call I have, there's some, some leader trying to negotiate, which is the leader's job, make something new happen out of the circumstances, whatever they are. Um, so if you're a leader that wants to make something new happen, no matter the circumstances, this new offering, whatever we end up calling it, negotiation lab or whatever, um, is going to be, you know, really great resource, not only for you, even if you think you're really great, you probably don't have language for why you're great. 
You're probably really intuitive. If you're good, you're probably intuitively good. Um, and you need to come and experience it so you have language so you can multiply it into your organization um, to exponentiate results. And in closing, I, I would say this. You know, we all t- we talk often about not having your people become tools to you. But you'll know if your people are tools if you can't identify their individual interests for why they're working with you. If I know what my people's interests are, I'm going to be much more eloquent and fluid at organizing and aligning and mustering the team together to get something done because I'll know how it impacts them. So That's great. We didn't even get to passive negotiating. I'll leave that one as a cliffhanger. I'll just just say this. I really wanted to talk about what we're tolerating in life. We are, is a negotiation. So we'll, we'll leave that one there. We'll come back to it. And uh, if you really want to know, you could reach out to us. If you want help with this before this uh, project next year launches, um, we're here. This is what we do. And we've mentioned it many times, but please don't be shy about reaching out to us. We would love to support you in the negotiations that you're that you're in with your team, yourself, uh, the market, and your family. So, thank, thank you, thank you Jeff. Thanks, gentlemen. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody.